Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Paso Paso Podcast. As you know, my name is Miles and I'm happy to be back here on our 41st episode uh, with a wonderful guest, Donna, who I met recently at a training and I thought that she shared so many wonderful things that I hoped she would be willing to share them with you all. And she is. So uh, thank you for being here and would you like to introduce yourself? Of course. Thanks, Miles. Uh, yes, my name's Donna Lucero. I uh, am up in Bernalillo County in Albuquerque. I work at uh, All Faith Children's Advocacy Center, and we uh, specialize in working with kids and families who've experienced trauma. We are we turned 65 this year, so I'm super proud of that. Um, spent my whole career uh, working with or for uh, kids and families who've experienced trauma. So that's my passion, uh, and that's how we met uh, talking about childhood trauma. Yeah, well, thanks again for your willingness to, to share your information again. Um, when I think about trauma, it's something that I feel as though our community here in Taos is pretty open to uh, as far as communities go with that topic, which is a difficult one. However, there's so many layers to it, and there's it's not a black and white thing, and we all have our own experiences, and it affects so many different areas of life. So um, just as an initial thought about trauma, uh, what, what would, do you think is, is important for the general public to know about that? Well, I think, Miles, you just touched on something there that I think is a really important place to, to kind of start when you think about trauma. Now, sometimes when you say the word trauma, people might think about like a car accident or maybe they think about abuse or something like that. And that's all. Yes, absolutely. But trauma, it has a very, very broad definition. And so the way I invite people to think about trauma is not not only about the event itself, but the response to trauma. That is really what is traumatic, is the response. So I have people consider like a pool of water, like a pond or a lake. And when you see a pebble drop into the pond, it creates a ripple, right? So I, I use that metaphor to describe trauma. The traumatic event is the pebble. And as it hits the water, the ripple is the trauma response. That's the long-term, potentially lasting impact of trauma. That's what we see on the surface. That's what we see in behavior. That's what we see in relationships. That's what we see in terms of the impact. Now, everyone's trauma pond is going to look different. Every individual person is going to metabolize, make sense out of, move through traumatic experiences very differently. It's 100% dependent on the individual. That's part of what makes trauma so tricky, right? You can have people who've experienced very similar events and have completely different responses. Depends on culture, age, temperament, resources, access to resources, a developmental stage when the events occurred, right? All of these factors into the trauma pond, like the temperature of the water, the speed of the pebble when it hits the water, the wind, the environmental factors, right? Same with trauma. Now, the pebble will eventually hit the bottom of the pond, meaning that event ends at a point in time, but the ripple continues. And that is really what we're dealing with on the surface. And for me, childhood trauma, early adversity, is a public health issue because it ripples to every area, potentially every area of someone's life and experience. And that's, I mean, that's what we're really dealing with is, is the response on the surface. So we start there, and part of that is really you know, I talk about putting on these trauma-sensitive lenses. So we're, we're, when we're working with people or living with people or our own traumatic experiences, impacts our behavior. So we've got to look underneath behavior to really see what's influencing people to make the decisions that they make, whether they're kids or adults or parents or anywhere in between. 
Yeah, that's such a wonderful visual metaphor, and I appreciate you sharing that because I haven't heard it explained that way before. And it makes me wonder, again, as I see it visually, um, if if there's a pebble that drops at, at some point in our lives and there's a ripple effect, uh, it, it's likely there are other pebbles dropping in other people's ponds, right? And what happens right. when those ripples hit each other at various points in life, as they as they do all the time? Right. Absolutely. We're we're a bunch of you know human beings' brains bumping into each other all the time with our own experiences and our own responses, our own trauma pond. And what we oftentimes see with with you know, just in our world, we look around in our own experiences and usually everyone's pond doesn't have one pebble. We have lots of pebbles in our trauma pond, some way more than others. And some sometimes it's a constant barrage of pebbles in the pond. Then you don't know what ripple goes with which pebble. Think about kids in a classroom, right? Like it's this, you know, I think about teachers in classrooms all the time because the kids, we know that just based on research right now, one in eight kids have experienced enough trauma to have a potentially lasting impact. Some, some research is saying up to 60% have experienced some level of trauma of kids in a classroom. That's like, you know, teachers are dealing with this all the time. We're dealing with this in our community all the time. And what we are finding is that we have kids and adults too have this really overactivated stress response system that's that's been tuned up or charged up because of their traumatic experiences. Our stress response system was designed to keep us alive in the in the face of threat, right? It's our survival response. It also activates in traumatic experiences. So we have kids, adults too, but we have kids who are just continually activated. Their survival response is on all the time. And when our survival response is on, our thinking brain is pretty much inaccessible. Kids can't learn. None of us can. We can really hardly function except for the sole focus of survival, fight, flight, or freeze. How many people, how many kids in our communities are really driven by this activation of their stress response system, which, you know, it impacts all aspects of our behavior and our being. Yeah. And it makes me think about two different scenarios. Um, one being and this visualization I had as you were speaking about, uh, as you said, like teachers in a classroom environment. Um, I've heard recently some teachers share with other community members, um, you know, second, third hand. I wasn't there, but uh, hey, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a counselor, right? So, you know, teachers are asked to do a lot. And sometimes it's um, daunting to think about taking on what they might perceive to be a little more. But are there any simple answers to how everyday folks or, you know, teachers can can find that balance in being supportive without feeling overburdened by, you know, something I might not feel trained in? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great question. I hear that a lot too, where, you know, um, you know, kids have behaviors, they have the responses and, and teachers or other people are like, I'm not a therapist. I can't really talk about that. And I'm, I, my response oftentimes is going to sound a little weird. I'm like, it's even better than you're not a therapist, right? <laughs> because it really is because what we know about managing that stress response system what we know about healing from trauma is it comes down to relationship connection. So, and teachers, I mean, they have the prime opportunity to create those relational connections and it doesn't have to be this deep, meaningful, you know, kind of in-depth conversation. It's little doses of relational connection, which are super powerful just because kids with this activated stress responses. And we talked to this about this a little bit before miles, they're activated. They're focused on, reading cues from their environment about threat. Their stress response system is super activated. They're not hearing the words the way they're being said. They're listening for, you know, high pitch and low pitch sounds or listening for cues of threat. 
and and their stress response system is activated. One of the things that helps regulate that stress response system is relationship, human connection. So when we can get that stress response system regulated lower part of the brain, our thinking brain is open for learning or you know, connecting or new relationships, whatever it might be. So relationship is key. Little doses of connection, healthy, attuned, responsive connection. And what that also means for teachers particularly is they have to be regulated first. So the simple answer is get myself regulated, get my thinking brain on, take some breaths, ground myself in the moment, uh, get a drink of water, step outside, whatever it is to regulate themselves in that moment so they can be present for the young people who are activated in their classroom. Self-regulation, getting myself regulated, and then connecting. That ultimately is like... And you don't have to be a therapist to do that. In fact, it's better if you're not. Um, the reason therapy works is not some magic technique that they teach us in grad school, right? I'm a therapist by training. It's relationship. That's why people get better. Uh, 45 minutes a week is not magic, right? Relationship is magic. And it's simple magic because we all have it. Amazing. <laughs> Right. This is why right. I, I just love I, you're, you're, I just want to give you credit for being so good at explaining things. It's really uh, wonderful. Thanks, um, so moving, uh, let's you know. So we address the teacher thing, the community thing a bit. Uh, since this is a short period of time, what what is important for? Um, I like to say those raising children, right? Because I view anybody's raising children as being a parent, right? But I know that there's people identify as grandparents, you know, aunties, uncles, friends. Um, when it comes to the first couple years of life and uh, trauma or preventing it or, um, you know, I guess also responding if it does happen, you know, in early in life for folks and you are the caretaker. Um, is there anything you'd like to share for folks that might be listening that do have young children or who they're just trying to do the best with? But with respect to that topic of trauma, which is just something that isn't spoken about very often in our community. Right. Yeah, gosh, that's a whole other podcast, probably, Miles. But when I'm thinking about it, just in the short run, the thoughts that were coming to my mind were about how we, as we, you know, we grow up and we kind of, not kind of, we really do parent the way we were parented. It's sort of all we know, right? It's like what you're experienced to when you're little, that's kind of what you do, unless you learn new tools and choose to do things differently, right? We're gonna sort of kind of default to those same patterns. So no matter what role you're in, if you're a parent or a biological parent or biological parent or an auntie or relative or whatever, we're kind of gonna kind of default to those same patterns of, uh, of parenting responses. So a key thing is to know that, right? To notice that. Um, how is my trauma history, how is my own experience infecting my parenting now, influencing my parenting? And do I wanna do it differently? Right. And if I do, then we got to learn some new tools and try some new things. Right. And part of that is really just stepping back, being attuned and attentive and responsive to those that you're providing care to in a parenting capacity. Right. In the moment. And we're so distracted, Miles, by these blasted cell phones. Right. It's getting in the way of relational connection. That is where that's where it's at. Good enough parenting. Some of the research says this is going to sound crazy. Right. Good enough to parenting is like 30% consistency, consistent responses. 30% is enough for kids to, you know, pretty much be okay. So if we can be engaged and attentive and attuned 80% of the time, man, we're going to have some rock stars, right? Kids that are just 
grounded and regulated and connected. Human connection is the most powerful thing. It's how we survive. So when we think about parents or caregivers, whoever it is, that is first and foremost, the most important thing is attunement, connection, reading the cues, responding. And sometimes it's hard when you didn't get that when you were little. So it takes, you got, there's some support and some encouragement associated with that. You can't give what you didn't get. So helping uh, our caregivers get that to be able to give that to their kids. Wonderful. Um, real quick, just to get it in there, uh, something that I heard you say before and I already mentioned was something I was fascinated by was um, essentially the, the aftermath of trauma and sound. You, you alluded to it a little bit. Um, can you speak a little bit about that, the kind of uh, highs and low frequencies versus the human voice thing that I've heard you mention before? Yeah, it's awesome. I get super stoked about that too when I when I read about it. So this comes from some work. Uh, it's called the polyvagal theory, and the, the main the original theorist is Stephen Porges, but uh, one of his proteges, Dev Dana, wrote a book about it, which is the one I read. Where I read that when our stress response system is activated, our survival brain kicks in. You know, we kind of we lose connection with that thinking brain up at the top, but it also impacts our hearing. So literally, the physical process of hearing. Normally when we're regulated and kind of chill, the sweet spot for the human ear is, is the human voice. We don't, we hone into that. It's our sweet spot, middle ear. When our stress response system starts to activate low in the brain and, and our survival brain kicks in, we're not tuned in to that sweet spot anywhere anymore. We're cued into high pitch and low pitch sounds, which are cues for threat, right? So when our stress response system starts to activate, we're not even really listening to the words someone is saying to us. We're listening to the tone, the volume, the pitch, the rhythm, the cadence of someone's speech to determine, oh, is this a threat? Do I need to be alarmed? Do I need to activate further? Or can I, can I calm down? Can I, can I regulate that lower part of the brain? High pitch and low pitch sounds, that's what we're tuning into. And you either think about kids in a classroom, you think about law enforcement when they're trying to detain someone, it's all yelling and, you know, survival. It, it makes perfect sense why people run from the cops. Their stress response system is activated. It makes sense why the law enforcement yells. They're, they're threatened. So their stress response system activates and ultimately nobody's listening to the words. They're listening to the, the frequency, high, low pitch, uh, volume, cadence. It's fascinating. It is. And it makes perfect sense. Well, and even, you know, considering that this is uh, not only on our, our podcast stream, but also on uh, thanks to KNCE here in Taos radio station, um, it's a listening experience, you know, and so I, I'm even thinking not only are you great at explaining things, but I wonder, you know, in your own practice, I imagine that you're conscientious of the ways in which you approach those vocal um, practices. Um, and with our last, you know, minute or two here, again, just want to really appreciate um, everything you share with the community and your time today. Um, is there anything that you'd love for our region up here to just keep in mind and know with respect to trauma or, or healing the work that you are a part of in our communities? Yeah, I think probably what I would like to leave people thinking with is just that, you know, trauma is everywhere. I mean, this is a public health issue. A lot of the folks, whatever it's professional or personal, it doesn't matter for ourselves. We're experiencing trauma. Even COVID is a trauma, right? And these kind of responses influence behavior. So when you're in your professional role, in your, in your personal role, step back. Just take a minute and step back. Put on our, our trauma-sensitive lenses. Look a little bit underneath behavior and ask yourself, what may have happened to this person to influence this behavior right now? 
chances are it's not personal and nothing to do with you. Something else is going on. Even COVID, right? We are all in, a, in the same pool of COVID trauma, right? And how is that influencing behavior? When we put on those lenses, we see people differently. And when we see people differently, whether it's kids or adults, we respond differently. And we respond from a place of empathy and connection and understanding and compassion versus when we look on the surface. So I think that's what I would like to leave folks thinking about is just let's look underneath. Can you share with us the website of your organization or any other ways that sure. folks that are listening that might want to stay in touch with your work can, can do so? Absolutely. So uh, I work at Allface, so it's allface.org. But really the best way to reach me would just email. And it's dlucero at allfaiths.org, A-L-L-F-A-I-T-H-S.org, all lowercase, all one word. Wonderful. Well, Donald Lucero, thank you again so much for sharing this today. And uh, keep up the great work and studies, and, and thanks again. Thanks, Miles. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor. Paso a paso. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs>